In the New Testament book of James, in, in the first chapter, as James begins his letter, if you read that, really he is, he is writing about life following Jesus. A lot of new developments have happened. The church is being persecuted, and he's writing to, writing to believers, telling them what life is going to look like following Jesus. Really, if you look at that, he is writing instruction. He is giving wisdom and really proverbs about how to live as Christ followers. Be slow to anger. Be careful how you speak. He is giving proverbs about how to live as Christ followers. Well, in that section there in the first chapter, he says, but prove, think about that word, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. That is a word that means fool themselves. People that hear but do not do, they are fooling themselves. Now he goes on and he says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he has looked like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Now that is a deep passage, probably deeper than we can imagine. And, and really to understand it fully, we need to go look at the verses ahead of it and behind it. But tonight as we begin, I want to pull out a couple of points just from those verses as we begin tonight. The first thing we see is this, the Word of God bears fruit in action. And we need to understand that just to hear it, just to take it in is not enough. It bears fruit, it produces fruit, and really produces blessing in its practice. And so we see we're to be doers of the Word. We also see in that passage, the Word of God is to be the standard that we use to measure ourselves. Not others, that's not our measurement, not the culture, uh, not some other measurement, but the, the, the standard that we use is the Word of God, and, and that's what we see there. We, we measure ourselves according to the Word of God. And then the third thing we see, the Word of God must be consistently used as that measure. Now, it's not enough to just go one time and look at the mirror and walk away, but it is to be frequently used. It's not to be infrequent. Well, James is saying, I want you to think about this, for those that are seeking to live as Jesus Christ, and I, I pray that that's us here tonight, for those seeking to live as Jesus Christ, here's what James is saying, this is the best way to live. This is the best way to live. Now, he's not saying this is the best thing to read, it probably is. He's not saying this is the best thing to study. He is saying putting this into practice, God's Word, is actually the best way to live. Let me tell you this. Our problems, and the majority of them, occur when we live otherwise. And so tonight as we begin, maybe you're listening in some other way, young or old, this is your weekly reminder. We have it every single Sunday night. This is the best way to live. Putting this into practice actually is the best way to live. Tonight we're going to go back to our study. Last week we left off in chapter 20, verse 5. If you can imagine that, we've already made it that far. Chapter 20, verse 5. Tonight we're going to pick up again in our study with verse 6. And so here we begin tonight in chapter 20, verse 6. It says this. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, 
But who can find a trustworthy man? Now listen to that again. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty. But who can find a trustworthy man? Now there's two things to take out of verse 6. Now there may be more than that, but we're going we're to see two things. The first thing we see out of verse 6 is this. Be careful. You cannot always trust people that claim to be loyal. And that's the first thing that we see. It's a warning. Be careful. You can't always trust people that claim to be loyal. Now, the, the verse says, many people claim to be loyal. To, they profess that they are loyal. But in practice, honestly, few are. The word for loyalty here is the Hebrew word for faithfulness. Many people profess faithfulness, loyalty. Now, what that means is there are many people that claim to be for you. There's many people, and they will claim to be committed to you, to be dependable, faithful to you. But in reality, that's not so. Now, here's what I figured out, and you could probably say the same. If we live long enough, we find that to actually play out. We find that to actually be true. Many are the people that say, you can call me friend. Many are the people that say, you can trust me. But you watch when things get hard, when things become inconvenient, those folks become scarce. And I wish it weren't that way, but that's how it is. There, when, when time gets hard, those folks are hard to find. And so the first thing we see in the verse, be careful. You can't always trust people's claim to loyalty. You can't always trust people's claim to faithfulness. Second thing we see in the verse is this. And I think this is the big thing. The second thing we see is this. True loyalty, faithfulness, is not found in claims, but rather in practice. Now, look at, look at the wisdom that God is giving us here. True faithfulness, true loyalty is not found in mere words and claims, but rather in practice. Now, listen to the verse again. Let me read verse 6 again. Many a, many a man proclaims his loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? Listen to the words. Many a man proclaims his loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? The word for trustworthy, it's a different word. In the original language, it translates kind, merciful, or really it's the same word for loving kindness. There are many people that claim to be loyal, but the real ones are found in practice. The real ones are people that are found to be kind, to be merciful, to be an exhibitor of loving kindness. It is in practice that kind, loving, caring faithfulness is truly found. And that's what the Bible is saying here. Now, what that means is this. There are people that when there are good times, they're faithful. And when there are hard times, they are found faithful. And when there are inconvenient times, guess what? They're not rattled. They're found faithful. When there are costly times, they are found faithful. It is not the proclamation of words of loyalty. It is in living it out and showing it 
in real life. One of my favorite accounts, I was looking at that verse and I was thinking about it. One of my favorite accounts, now I've got about 70 of these, but one of my favorite accounts is found in 1 Samuel chapter 14. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, it's a story of Jonathan. Remember Jonathan, he is the friend of David. He is the son of King Saul. It's an interesting chapter, interesting couple chapters there. And Jonathan is there, and in this chapter, in chapter 14, he is talking to his armor bearer, the person that carries his armor. Uh, they are, have gone up to the edge of the camp of the Philistines. There's a big rock there. They're not seen. They're not visible. And they get to the edge of the camp, and it is a huge camp. There is a huge, terrible army just ahead. And it's just the two of them. Here they are. They're perched there. And he says, let's go over there to, these, to the garrison of these uncircumcised Philistines. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or few. He says, look at this army just around this bend. Let's the two of us go over there. And if God is with us, we're not going to need an army. That's what he says. So here's what Jonathan says. Let's go. Around this corner, there's a whole encampment, and just the two of us will go. And if the Lord is with us, it's going to be okay. Now listen, that's a bold claim. That is a radical thing. He doesn't say, let's go get the army of Israel. They're back there. No, he says, we will go. Just the two of us will go. You know what? That's a dangerous thing. And you know what? That's, that's Jonathan. The guy with the armor, I don't know what Jonathan's done, but there's an army. We'll just go get the army. Why wouldn't we get the Lord's army? One of my favorite lines, listen to this. That's what Jonathan says. Hey, let's just go around this corner and let's show these Philistines. The armor bearer says this. Do all that is in your heart. Only turn yourself and here I am. Do all that is in your heart. Only turn yourself and here I am. He says you go and come what may. If you turn to the left or you turn to the right. Here am I. Some profess loyalty. Others show it. Others walk it. Let's go. All right. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? Verse 7, moving on. A righteous man who walks in his integrity. How blessed are his sons after him. All right, verse 7, of, of all the things we celebrate about a person, and I, I'm making this relevant for us today. Here it is for us today. The things that we celebrate about a person, their abilities, we celebrate those, their looks, their success, their power, their athleticism, whatever it is, all the things, if you're to say, hey, that's the person right there. Of all the things we celebrate, God says we should value righteousness in that person, a righteous person. That's what we should value. A righteous person, we've looked at this several times, we've passed through our study. Very simply, that is a person who seeks to honor God in life. Now, they mess up, yes. They fail, yes. But they are a person that the goal of their life is to honor God. They want to do the right thing. They want to seek and do the right thing. It says they walk in their integrity. And so they're a righteous person 
But it's not just in words, and it's not just a show. They are righteous, and in honesty and integrity, they live it out. Do you know people that you have come to watch, come to know, and you can trust that person will do the right thing? And when faced with the things of life, you can, you can know that person They're just a person, but they will seek and they will do the right thing. You can be sure of it. You can trust it. It's what they do. It's what they have done. You watch that person. Do you know somebody like that? They will do the right thing. The Bible says their sons, their family that comes after them will be blessed. I want you to listen to this. For sure, there is nothing worse for a kid or children than a fraudulent parent. And, and we talk about this and this and what's wrong with kids and what's wrong with our generation and what's wrong with the, the kids all around us. And I want to tell you, there's nothing worse for kids than a fraudulent parent. To hear one thing to hear all this talk, to hear one thing when we go to church and hear these things at one place and then to see something else That is the worst thing. They see that. They see the falseness of that. They see the hypocrisy of that. They know it. There's nothing worse for a kid than have a parent that says one thing and lives a different way. But here's the good news. At the same time, the best thing is a parent or a grandparent of integrity walking out a life of righteousness. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. Starting right now, this is why we're here. We're learning tonight. We draw a line and we seek to live in front of our kids and our grandkids a life of righteousness. Here's what that means. It matters. It matters. How you live matters. How you respond in this world absolutely matters. All right, moving to verse 8. A king who sits on the throne of justice disperses all evil with his eyes. Kind of a strange verse, an odd verse. A king who sits on the throne of justice disperses all evil with his eyes. Verse 8 really is just a statement, and it's a statement revealing God's plan. It's interesting, in in the Hebrew, if you go look it up in the original language, the first line of the verse is not a dependent clause. Most English translations have it as a, has, as a dependent clause. Most literally this translates, a king, a government, a ruler, a king sits on a throne of justice. And from that throne, that king, that ruler watches and does away with evil. Now let me say that to you again. Here's what God says. A king sits on a throne of justice And sitting on that throne of justice, they watch and they do away with evil. Now, what it means is, in a right-running world, in a right-running system, governments, or the king, the ruler, the government, should exist to uphold justice. What is a government for? What is the role of our president and our Congress? What is a government for? God says the role of a government, of a ruler, of a king... They exist to uphold justice. Now, what does that mean? 
It means they do away with evil, they get rid of evil, punish evil, and they promote good. What In God's perfect system, you want to know what the role of our government or any government is, any ruler, it is that they would sit on a throne of justice and they would do away with evil and they would promote good. That is the ideal according to God's system. A king who sits on the throne of justice disperses all evil with his eyes. All right, verse 9. Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from sin? Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from sin? Now, verse 9 is, is an important verse. And for those trying to live as God's people, it is an essential verse. Now, it comes along and you read it and say, well, what in the world is that? What is it doing right here? Well, if we've actually decided to live as followers of Christ, this is an essential verse. It means as we hear these Proverbs, as we take in God's wisdom, as we study this study, it means this. We are to be evaluating ourselves. Here's what happens a lot of times. A lot of times, as we're hearing these Proverbs, as we're going through this study, you're thinking... I hope they're listening over there. I hope they're listening back there. Oh, I wish so-and-so had been here. You ever thought that? Man, they need to hear this. I'm going to send them the link to this video. I've heard people say that. I'm going to send them a link to this video. A lot of times as we're studying the Proverbs, we're saying, ooh, that man, they should have been here for that. When the point is this, listen, the only one we can control, the only one we're responsible for is ourself. It is us. I was thinking about this. You know this. You ever watch kids, and I guess it never ends, whatever age, it's still happening in my house. But you ever watch kids, and you get on to one of them, and here's their answer to tell on somebody else to point out somebody else. You can come in and say, Kale, you burned down the house. You burned down the house. And you'll say, yeah, but Will stole the car. They point to somebody else. They have to point out somebody else. Well, isn't that us? Isn't that what we do? We're hearing these Proverbs and saying, man, they need that. Oh, I wish they'd have heard that. When we're supposed to be evaluating Ourself. God throws in this reminder. He does it all the time that as we pass through these, he says, who can say that I have cleansed my heart? Notice that is past tense. Who can say I've got it all figured out and I've adjusted and I'm living a perfect life? He says, who can say that? Who can say I am pure, I'm free from sin? Here's the deal. Listen, it's pretty good. If you can't see your failure, you will not seek improvement. And that's the point to this whole verse. Really, that's the point to this whole deal. If you cannot see your failure, you will not seek improvement. Now listen, this is good news to us in that, you know what? We're all messing it up. We're all failing. We're all off track. 
And you know what? This is God's wisdom to us. And the good news is the word of life is a breath of life. And we can stop right here and we can adjust and we can live accordingly. And as we move out of here, God will bless it. Who can say, I've cleansed my heart? I am pure from sin. Verse 10. Differing weights and differing measures, both of them are abominable to the Lord. Now, verse 10 is talking about fairness, truthfulness, and integrity in how we deal with each other, how we deal with the lost world, how we deal with each other as believers. It's talking about fairness, honesty, and integrity in how we deal with each other. Now, it's what it's saying is this. If you sell five pounds, then you deliver five pounds. And whatever your trade is, whatever your merchandise is, if you have represented this thing and you sold this thing, then the thing you deliver is that thing. If you sell a bushel, bring a bushel. If you sell a bell, bring a bell. You, can, you deliver what you promise. It's been a couple months back. Will and, I, Will and I were out and we were talking to this guy. And he sells goats. And he goes to a goat auction in San Angelo. He was telling us about he raises goats and he sells goats. And he takes about 40 or 50 goats at a time to the goat sale in San Angelo. And he's telling us the story. And he says about two days before he gets ready to sell his goats, he starts mixing salt in their water. And he puts salt in their water. And if it's too much, they won't drink it. But you got to figure out how much. And he, and he mixes it up. And the salt causes them to be thirsty, causes them to drink more water, and they gain weight from drinking the water. Now the goats get on the trailer, and they weigh five pounds more than they actually do, and there's 50 goats, so it's 250 pounds, and they're bringing $2.83 a pound, and he says the weight you add that's not real weight will pay for the hauling. And he was telling us like that was a wise thing, and it's really a funny story to him. We left there, and Will says, well, what about that? And I said, I don't, know. I don't know if that works or not. I don't know how the, if that works or not. But I will tell you this. In all things, stay away from that guy. I don't care what he does, what he says. I don't care if it's in a big thing or a small thing. If that's how he operates, in all things, stay away from that guy. Here's the point. As God's people... We are to be honest. We're to be totally pinpoint honest. It should be our rule. And listen, it should be evident. Again, it matters how we live. It matters how we live. All right, verse 11. If you've been salting your goats, shame on you. <laughs> verse 11. It is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself if his conduct is pure and right. Bigger than we think. It is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself if his conduct is pure and right. Now, a lad in the Hebrew, it translates a child. The definition is a person between the age of birth and adolescence. Then I go look up what, what the age of adolescence is in Hebrew understanding, and probably it's under the age of 12 to 14 years old. 
This is a kid. This is a child under the age of 12 to 14, after the age, of course, of birth. Now, here's, here's a couple of takeaways. Here's one of them. One takeaway is that even a kid reveals themselves in their action. And that's one takeaway, and I've heard folks teach that verse that way. Even a kid reveals themselves in their actions. And so an application, adults should also be mindful. Even a kid's heart is revealed in their action. Even a kid's wisdom is revealed in their action. And so we should be the same. Now here's, here's something to take with that. Today it seems as adults, many people are still responding and acting like kids. I, you ever notice that? We, we live in a silly, silly day. I, I think sometimes what my granddad would do to see the things that 40 and 50 and 60-year-old men do right now. Sometimes we're still responding and acting like kids. We should be maturing. We should be growing. And even kids reveal themselves in action. Now, there is another takeaway, and I think it's actually the plain meaning of the verse. I think it's the plain takeaway of the verse. The word for distinguishes is the Hebrew word reveals, makes known. A child reveals and makes known. Now, think about this. Here's what we know of the development of a child. A child in this period, they are learning, they are growing, they are messing up. Hopefully, they're being corrected and trained in that process. And here's the point. Here's what God's Word says. And they have the ability to show up rightness and righteousness in their conduct. I believe that's the most plain understanding reading of that verse. Listen, today we say, well, they're kids, and we use it as an excuse. They're kids. They can't get it. We can't set expectations that high. We can't demand that of them. They're kids. And kids today have an escape clause. Well, they're kids. They're just kids. Well, they're 10, they're 11, they're 9. They're kids. And yet the Bible says, listen to this, they have the ability to know righteousness, to know right and wrong, and to know how to control themselves. And their actions, even kids, should reveal a difference between kids and the homes of the world. Wow, that'll get you in trouble. Uh-oh. Being a kid is not an excuse. This is what the Bible says. Are they learning? Yes. Are they to be taught in grace? Yes. But listen, they have the ability to conduct themselves according to the righteousness of God's truth, God's word. There's some kids here tonight. And I, I'm, parents, you can listen in, but I want to talk to the kids for just a second. Listen, kids, you can honor God. Hold on, I'm seven. You can please God. You can please God. You can do big, important things 
for the glory of God, walking in obedience to your parents. The little things, those matter. Kids, how you live matters as well. Youth, how you live matters as well. Parents, adults, even as a kid, is the example. How you live matters as well. I want to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. As we stand, I want to, I want to say this as we, as we come back to this, this concluding point. Here's the truth. We all mess up. We all mess up. We need a Savior. Guess what? We have a Savior in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come. I'm thankful for your training. I'm thankful for your teaching. I'm thankful for your word. I, I pray, Lord, that we would be wise, and if we need to, we would take correction. I pray, Lord, that we'd be wise and we would be instructed. And I pray for the littlest kid that hears tonight, that they would understand they can live and please you, and they can live and bring glory to you. To the oldest adult, that we would understand how we talk and how we do business and how we respond, how we raise our kids, that it matters how we live as well. And then I'm thankful that when we've messed it all up, and when we've gotten off track, that right now we can take in your truth, we can take in your wisdom, we can draw a line in the sand, and we can walk out and do better. Empowered by God, forgiven in the grace of God, it's still the best way to live. I'm thankful for that. And Lord, I'm thankful most of all that when we've totally tanked it and rebelled against you, that you sent a Savior, that we would have hope and peace with you in the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I pray that that would shape every piece of our life. Lord, I pray for parents here tonight. And I pray for kids here tonight. And I pray for adults here tonight. And I pray for retired folks here tonight. And I pray for married folks here tonight and, and single people here tonight. I pray, Lord, that we would be wise and we would take in what we've heard. And we wouldn't fool ourselves and be deluded, but we would be doers of the word. And I pray all of it would be for your glory. We're thankful that you're kind to us and gracious to us. We tell you we love you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.